Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow before you again with thankful hearts, for we know that you are the one that has put a desire in our hearts to worship you, the true and living and only God. That you have created us for the very purpose of worship, and we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, that you have changed our heart to where we have a desire to love you and to hate sin. We thank you, Father, that Christ has paid the price, the debt that we could not pay for our sins so that we could have communion with you. And we pray, Father, that we would see what a glorious blessing that is to be able to gather together corporately and worship you in truth and spirit. We thank you for your spirit which teaches us as we open your divine word this day and we listen to the words of Christ. We pray, Father, that these words would be living words. For we know that your word is living and active and able to divide. And we pray, Father, that your word would pierce our hearts today. That it would do the work that only you can do of making us more Christ-like. We pray, Father, for those who do not know Christ because they have never repented of their sins and looked to Him and Him alone. How we pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Open their eyes to see Christ and His salvation. Open their eyes to see their own sinfulness and their need to repent and turn from their sins to Christ. Work in our midst this day and work wherever the gospel is proclaimed and bring many into your kingdom for your glory and honor. Give us understanding this morning as we continue to think about anxiety and how you forbid us of being concerned about the things of this world in such a way that it affects our lives. Cause us to trust in you, to trust in your sovereignty. Teach us to realize that we have a God that is working all things out according to His purpose to bring honor and glory to His name and that He is able to care for His children. We pray for those who are not able to be with us this day, those especially who are ill. We pray that Your healing hand would be upon their body and that You would be pleased to restore their health. We pray for those who would be away and traveling, that you would give them safety and they worship elsewhere this day, that you would bless their time together with your people and bring them back to us safely. We pray for those who would not be here due to lack of concern for their own spiritual needs, that you would renew within them a right spirit so that they would not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. We pray that all that would be said and done this day would be pleasing in your sight and that you would bring honor and glory to your name. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn again with me to Matthew chapter 6 and we will again read verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6 and we'll read verses 25 through the end of the chapter. Verse 25, 
Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in a barn, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more precious than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his statue? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Heard of a story of a church seeking a pastor, and they went and heard the pastor in view of a call. And after they had heard him, the committee met and decided that they would call him as pastor. Well, the first Sunday that he was at the new church that he was at, he preached the same sermon that he had preached when they had come to hear him. And they said, well, we know that he's moved and he hasn't had really a lot of time to be able to prepare to preach another sermon, so we'll give him an exemption. Well, the following Sunday, he preached the same sermon again. And this, of course, caused some of them to really wonder what in the world is going on. So some of them went to the pastor and they said, Pastor, you preached this sermon when we heard you for a call. You preached this sermon on the first Sunday. Now you preach the same sermon on the third Sunday. What's the deal? He said, well, when you begin to do what I preached the first Sunday, then we will move on to the next sermon topic. Some of you may be thinking that as we continue to look at this passage that is before. Now, Pastor, you preached on worrying last week. Now you're going to address it again. Well, I would give you the same admonition that that pastor gave to that congregation. When we uh, finalize and we get past this, then we will move on to the next subject. Jesus repeats himself time and time again in this particular passage. Jesus gives us the biblical foundation for trusting God there in verse 25 that we looked at last week. And then he moves on and he gives us examples of specific things that our Father has done for his children that he loves so tenderly. Now Paul teaches us this same truth in Philippians 4, 6 when he says, Be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. In other words, he's saying what? Avoid anxiety. In other words, do not fill your mind with your needs and difficulties in this life. And notice, it's our duty. It's our duty to heed what he is saying here, to not worry. 
Now that doesn't mean that we're not to be diligent in our duty. I've already mentioned that in the first sermon that we looked at. We're to be wise. We're to be active. We're to do all that God has commanded us to do. We're to be like the ants, plan for the future. But what he's emphasizing is do not worry about those things. Make your plans. Do what you need to do. Be obedient to what Scripture commands you to do. But don't worry. Turn it over to God after you've done all that you are to do. Because there is a care of distrust that is a sin. And it reveals one ignorance about God's sovereignty. That God is in control of all things. Such anxiety confuses and distracts the mind so that it questions God's care for you and me. And when we question God's care for us, it's a sin. We need to realize that. And it's a great sin, not a small sin. Matthew Henry says, A sovereign antidote against perplexing care, Paul recommends to us constant prayer. In other words, what is he saying there? Same thing Paul's saying. Paul's saying, Paul's saying don't have anxiety. And how do you overcome anxiety? Pray. Supplication. Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. In other words, turn it all over to God. He's saying instead of worrying, pray. Tell God about the situation. Even though God knows the situation, He wants you to tell Him about the situation, right? I mean, if He didn't, He wouldn't have said pray throughout Scripture. Over and over again, He tells us to pray. He wants to commune with us. He wants us to bring our concerns and our questions to Him so that He might answer them. You know, one of our problems is we're guilty of telling everybody but God. We'll tell our husband about our problem. We'll tell our wife about our problem. We'll tell our our friends about our problem instead of going to God. I mean, the very first person you ought to tell or the very first being you ought to tell is God, right? I mean, he's the one that can do something about it. Usually, all these other people that you tell, they can't do anything about it. But God can do something about it. So we're to go to him. We're to tell him. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. Because the flesh wars against the spirit. And anxiety is always going to be knocking at the door. It's always going to be present. The devil will do everything that he can to cause you to distrust God. And this is what he has done ever since the beginning. Did God really say he will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth? That's what Satan will put in your mind. Did God really say that? Did God really say that the Lord is near you, all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth? Did God really say, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Did God really say, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Satan will constantly be saying, did God really say that? Does God really mean what He says? See, He seeks to put those doubts in our mind. He seeks to cause us to question what God has said. How do you defeat that? How do you defeat the lies of Satan? 
You do it the same way Jesus did it. Remember the temptations in the wilderness? What did Satan do? He brought these questions to Jesus. And Jesus replied, The Word of God says, The Lord has written, Thus saith the Lord. So you hide the Word of God in your heart and laboring to live by faith in Christ. Don't trust in yourself or rely upon the wisdom of men. But as the Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Those who love and trust in the Lord are able to be delivered from anxiety. They're able to rest in Jesus. I should have told Chris this morning to put in the hymns, resting, resting, resting in Jesus. That's what we're to do. We're to rest in Jesus. I mean, in Psalms 37.3 was the only promise given to us pertaining to God's providence and resting in God's providence, it'd be enough. For it says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. We have an entire book that speaks of God's faithfulness. I mean, anytime you begin to question or doubt God's faithfulness, just go to His Word. And read all the accounts of God showing His faithfulness to His people. And we serve the same God of the Bible. Those who love and trust in the Lord are able to be delivered from anxiety and rest in Jesus. You can ask for more who can ask for more than that? In other words, do you really believe it? Do you really believe what God's Word says? Philippians 4.19, a few verses past what we read just a moment ago concerning Paul. He says, And my God shall supply, what's the next word? All, not some, all your needs according to His riches in glory by Jesus Christ. Now, of course, what he's speaking of there are those godly needs, those godly needs that God is willing to give us, not all of our wants, but our needs. A.W. Pink says, How shall we rely upon the mercy of God in the hour of death if we are afraid to trust His providence for the things of this life? But when serious losses approach us and everything seems to be against us, it's time to cleave more closely to God and rely upon Him to undertake it for us. What is he saying? He says, when things get worse, you cleave more to God. You run to God. When affliction comes, you go to God. You don't run from God. David said, Behold, I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. Psalms 
1967. And then he continues and he says in verse 71, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Now many Christians can agree with David that you know that it was good at that period in time in your life that you were afflicted Why? because it caused you to cleave to God. It caused you to run back to God because you had slid away, you had backslidden and God brought some adversity in your life to either save you or to bring you back from your backslidden condition. A number of you heard the name Chuck Colson. You know, he served as the special counselor to President Nixon. And due to Watergate, he was called the hatchet man for his involvement in all of that. And as a result of that, he was judged and he was sentenced to prison and he spent seven months in prison. But God used that entire situation to wake him up to his lost condition. As he, had read, as he read the Bible that someone had given him, and God dealt with his heart and humbled that man who was full of pride, a man that was arrogant. God humbled him and made him a servant of God. And as a result of that, he was used of God. And he developed the ministry prison fellowship that has been instrumental in bringing many prisoners to Christ over the year. Chuck Colson would say with David, it is good for me to have been afflicted. Some of you know personally that God had to afflict you to bring him to salvation. God's a good God, and God knows exactly what it takes to bring you to Him and also to bring you out of a backslidden condition. And here Jesus reveals how vain it is to worry about temporal things. And first by stating how life, as we looked at last week, how life is superior how it's superior to food, how how the body is superior to clothes. So if God has taken care of our life and our body, then surely He's going to take care of our food and our clothing. And knowing that God has created us and knowing that God has numbered our days should cause us to commit our ways unto the Lord. And to trust in His providence knowing that He will provide all that we need all throughout life. In other words, we will never starve and we will never be naked. If God made us and He called us and He set us apart for His glory, then is He not going to care for you and me? So many examples in Scripture reveal this truth to us. We looked at last week and saw it our Old Testament reading last week. We saw uh, Jeremiah when, not Jeremiah, Ezekiel, when Ezekiel went to the widow lady and only her and her son, and she said, I'm going to make one last meal and then we're going to die. And Elijah said, What? Go make a meal for me? I mean, can you imagine? 
what must have gone on in her mind. Wait a minute, I just told you I'm going to make one last meal. It's going to be for me and my son, and we're going to die because that's it. No more. No, do what I said, and the Lord will take care. And she was obedient. And she had a meal every single day after that provided by the Lord. Now, that doesn't happen only in biblical times. Sometimes people look at that story and they see things like that in Scripture. Well, that was biblical times. Those things don't happen today. No, they continue to happen. God continues to take care of us. He continues to work in His providence to provide everything that we need. Years ago, I heard a story, and I, I tried to find it. I could not find it, but of a Puritan preacher during the days of Queen Elizabeth, bloody, I mean Queen Mary, Bloody Mary, as she was known because she was Bloody Mary because of all the preachers and others who held to the Bible and preaching it were put to death. And this one preacher in this one small town was being hunted down. And as he heard that the soldiers were coming closer and closer, he, he looked for a place to hide so that he would not be captured and put to death. And he found a cubby hole under some stairs with a door and he went in there and he hid. And the soldiers began to look for him. And they were searching every home, searching every place. And they came into this one building where he was hidden. And as they walked toward the place where he was hidden, and someone said, look over there under the stairs and see if there's anything under there. And the soldier walked over there. And in that short time, a spider had spun a web. And the soldier, oh, you can't be in there. There's a web. And it isn't disturbed. Of course, the pastor continued to stay there. He had to hide out for a few days. And, of course, he got hungry and thirsty. And all of a sudden, he heard a chicken. The chicken came into where he was and, and laid an egg. And he took that egg and he was able to break it and he was able to nourish his body with the food that the chicken, well, not the chicken, <laughs> but the Lord used the chicken to provide him the meal that he needed so that he could survive. I mean, God does things like that. God is able today to provide for us when we least expect it, when we are in need, because God loves us. Remember the verse we looked at last week as we began the message? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up to us all, how shall he not with him so freely give us all things? If he's done the greatest thing for us and given us his son, then Paul emphasized, will he not freely give you all the other things that you need? I mean, this promise should remove all doubt, all fear far from us. So why in the world are we often filled with unbelief? Why are we so slow to obey His precepts, which Christ repeats here for us, knowing that our greatest problem has been solved, we should have 
great confidence that all of our other problems are going to be solved as well. I mean, the problems that we have cannot compare to the solution that God has given us in Christ and the promise that He will resolve all things for us. We realize that we need grace every single day to obey our Lord's teaching. So that we do not fall into the sin of anxiety. Now Jesus throughout this passage actually gives us seven reasons or seven arguments to show how foolish it is to have anxious thoughts. We looked at one last week and we're looking at another one this week. And I want us to see how Jesus urges us to defeat anxiety by seeing God's gracious provision in all living things. First, He wants us to consider the birds. There in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barn, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more? Valuable than they. Now, the second reason for us to have confidence in our Heavenly Father's provision, if He provides for the needs of the birds, inferior creatures, surely He's going to provide for you and me all that we need. It's as if our Redeemer says, Do You need more assurance that God will meet all your temporal needs? If so, lift your eyes up into the sky and look at those feathery creatures that soar above. One of our members told me, Last week, how years ago, he sat in his car eating a staled peanut butter jelly sandwich, thinking to himself anxiously, how am I going to make ends meet? Then all of a sudden, in God's timing, a flock of birds, you've seen it at your house before, thousands of birds, it seems like it's five miles long, fly over and flew over. And as he looked above and saw those birds, calmness, calmness, that God would meet those needs. What a powerful testimony that God gives us in being able to see the birds in the air. These birds who are, are free of anxiety, these birds who are filled with cheerful songs, and we look at them And it should cause us to celebrate the goodness of our gracious God. That we 
have such a God that takes care of these birds and that this God will also take care of us and therefore we should praise Him. It's sad that our Heavenly Father receives so little acknowledgement and gratitude from humans. It's our duty to consider God's work to consider who He is, His his wisdom, His goodness, His power, His mercy, and His providence. Solomon said, consider the works of God. Job 36, 24 says, remember to magnify His works. I mean, God has made it so evident universally We can look everywhere and we see the works of God. They cannot be denied. Oh, but the wicked do. They suppress the truth as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor give Him thanks, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory for the incorruptible, and God in image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-legged creatures and creeping things. I mean, that's what the wicked do, not the righteous, not the Christian. The wicked suppress the truth, whether there is a God or not. We must say with the psalmist, O God, O Lord, how manifold are Thy works, the wisdom Thou hast made them all. The earth is full of Thy riches. Psalms 111.2 The work of the Lord are great salt. He has made His wonder works to be remembered. Marvelous are Your works, and that my soul knows very well. Psalms 139.2 14. We're not to be like the wicked. We are to constantly be giving God praise for His works, what He has done. The wicked are so foolish that they exchange the image of God for their foolishness. They profess to be wise. I mean, now how wise is it to profess that we came from a monkey? I don't think that's very wise. I think that's stupid, to tell you the truth. Now, my wife doesn't like me saying that word because she doesn't want children to call somebody stupid. But somebody that believes that is stupid. They're ignorant. They're without knowledge, in other words. God has revealed Himself, but yet wicked man suppresses it. Well, what about us as Christians? What are we to consider? We're to consider that these birds, as Jesus points out here, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in the barns, yet they have no anxiety whatsoever. I mean, in other words, you know that birds were created, but they were not created to do those things. 
Right? They, they don't have the ability to do those things. But yet they don't fear. They don't fear about tomorrow. Isn't it amazing how birds of the air are provided for with the food in such unique ways? God providentially cares for them. He watches over them and it's displayed right before our eyes so often. Now, now He may use you to help care for those birds. You may have a bird feeder. You may have other things out in your yard. You may throw things out in the yard for the birds. Sometimes you may say, well, that ain't worth eating. I'll just give it to the birds, you know, and they eat it. Remember years ago, whoo, time flies. You know my youngest daughter, how she is. If you don't know her, she, she loves animals. I mean, God put that in her to want to be, have a farm and want to have all the things on the farm and all that. Even as a young age, one time one of those flocks of birds just filled the yard. I mean, it was just covered. It looked like a black yard out there. And then they, you know, how they light for just a few minutes and they fly off again. And they flew off. Well, one little bird did not fly off. And later... She says to her mama, Mama, don't go into the laundry room. (laughs) Of course, you know, when someone says that, then you go into that room. And there she had picked up that little bird and brought it in there and was taking care of it. Said, I've got to nurse it back to health so it can catch up with its family. And she did and was able to let it go. And I guess it caught up back with its family. I mean, it's unreal what birds can do. I mean, they can fly all the way down to the southern tip of South America, and then they come all the way back, and they'll go right back to the same tree they came from. And I guess that bird caught up with his family eventually. But God takes care of them. And God uses us sometimes to take care of those birds. I mean, God's infinite goodness and His faithful and His tender care are new every morning, the Scripture says. So Jesus reveals how irrational it is for man to worry. When the lower creature doesn't worry, why in the world would the higher creature worry? See, this reveals man's sinfulness in his lack of, of total dependency upon his God, his lack of trusting God's providence for all that he needs. How dishonoring it is to our Heavenly Father. How sinful to worry and show distrust after Jesus has told us that our Heavenly Father feeds them Revealing God's care for the bird, likewise His care for us. To worry should cause us to shame, be shamed. It should rebuke us for having any doubt whatsoever that God would take care of us. See, the next time you're tempted to worry about the future, remember these words that Jesus says here. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And if your heavenly Father feeds them, if God is merciful to birds, then surely He will take care of His children. What a comfort. What a comfort to know that. 
Second, we must consider how valuable we are in God's eyes. He goes on and he says, are you not more more value than the birds? Well, of course, the answer, it's, it's a rhetorical question here. I mean, creation reveals how much greater humans are than animals. I mean, if you have any doubt with wisdom and design of the eternal destiny, something's wrong. I mean, we shouldn't have any doubt. I mean, there's, there's too many, like I said earlier, that are ignorant about these things. There, there's the lower creatures and there's the higher creatures. We are the higher creatures. That's why I said we don't come from monkeys. They're the lower creatures. God created us. There's no doubt about that. And now, remember, as we looked at last week, the illustrations that Jesus is using here and teaching here is the higher with the lesser argument. And if God cares for the lesser things, surely He's going to care for the greater things that He's created. I mean, most of you children have a pet. And most of the time, the parents end up taking care of the pet, even though it's their pet. Now, children, if your parents are going to take care of your pet, feed them and water them and do all the other things they need done to them, don't you think that your parents are going to take care of you? Well, surely they're going to take care of you. They're going to do more for you than they do for that pet. They're going to dress you and they're going to bathe you and they're going to meet all your other needs. And so, therefore... We can take great comfort in that. You can take great comfort that your parents love you and care for you. And we have to realize that as Christians, we are objects of God's special love. Love of redeeming grace. A love that sent His only begotten Son into the world to die for sinners. And to quicken our souls so that we would love God as our Heavenly Father. That He enables us to love Him as our Heavenly Father. He loves us so much that He has an inheritance for us. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.4, incorruptible and undefiled. And that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for us. That's what awaits for us. Eternity. All of those blessings that we'll have. And you cannot even begin to compare those to what we have here on this earth. Do you think that our Heavenly Father who has done all these things will allow His children to starve to death while passing through this wilderness of sin? Well, there's people that are ignorant enough to think that. Israel, lights were. We read it this morning in our Old Testament scripture reading. I mean, they thought, well, it'd be better to go back to Egypt. I mean, I think they forgot what was happening in Egypt. To make bricks, to build the palaces and the monuments and the pyramids and all that for the Egyptians, that's what you'd rather be doing? That's what they were saying. I mean, God brought us out here just to die. In the wilderness. How ignorant, how foolish a lot of the Israelites were. And of course, we know because of their foolishness, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But even while they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, God provided for them supernaturally manna as well as quail. 
each day. And of course, as we read, there were some that didn't listen to God. Gather six days, and on that sixth day, get a double portion because it's not coming on the Sabbath. They didn't listen. They go out to gather on the Sabbath. They hungered for one day because there was not food for those who did not obey God. It's sad that sometimes we can be just like those Israelites, not trusting and obeying God. Jesus continues to reveal how worth it is to worry. When he says there in verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his statue? Well, Again, we have another rhetorical question here, a form of speech that gives us affirmative answer. Children, in other words, it's it's like, do you want a spanking? I mean, did anybody not get asked that question? I mean, I think we all, at children, we were all like, do you want, oh yeah, dad, I want a, you know. So it's a rhetorical question. Of course, the answer is no. No, I don't want it. In the same way here, it's an emphatic, no, we cannot do one thing to add a cubit to our statue. Now, of course, we know that Barney Five, I think he added a half inch or an inch, if you watch that one. You know, he got in the closet and got that thing to pull his neck up. I actually used one of those when my neck was in such bad shape. Didn't help a whole lot. I think it made me a half inch taller though. Matter of fact, you, you might not know this. Every morning you're taller than you are in the evening. Children, have your parents measure you this evening, then have them measure you in the morning, and you'll see that. But anyway, we're, we're simply giving the answer here, no. You cannot add a single cubit to your height. So Jesus is simply revealing how powerless man is to accomplish that which only God can do. It doesn't matter how wise, how strong, how much ambition you have, you did not reach your present height by any effort on your own. It was already determined by God. Matthew Henry says, An infant a span long has grown up to be a man six foot tall. And how can one cubit after another be added to his statue? Not by his own foresight or plan, he grew by the power and the goodness of God. Now, do you know how long a cubic is? We're reading cubic and you say, well, what's a cubic? Well, a cubic is from your elbow to the tip of your finger, a man, not, not a child's, which is approximately 18 to 21 inches. Now, y'all don't go measuring right now. I don't think any of you probably have a tape measure with you to do that. But anyway, it's approximately 18 inches, and God is the one that has framed our body. He started, we started at a span. In other words, most babies that are born, they're how long are they? They're 18 to 21 inches, right? And even now, these pregnant mamas in here, the doctor will measure and tell you whether your baby's on track and you know, whether it can be a big baby or a small baby, they're able to do all sorts of things, especially with all the technology that we have today. But yet all of our heights have been predetermined, ordained, even though we may have wanted to be higher, taller, I mean, which is higher. 
I wouldn't be taller because I wanted to be a quarterback so I could see over the line. But I wasn't taller to go. God did not ordain that for me. Matter of fact, he, he broke my arm. or had, I broke my arm when I was uh, sixth grade. I thought I was going to be a great, great athlete. And uh, that ended my pro career. I didn't get to play that year. But I did play some after that. Very little, though. I wasn't like Seth and these other great athletes. But anyway, think of, think of Goliath. You mean Goliath was six cubits. Well, how tall is six cubits? Well, that's 9.9 feet. Nine feet, nine inches. He was a big guy. But God ordained that. But the point is that God has appointed it. No man, neither by his skill nor his anxiety or his activity can exceed the statue that God has determined. That's the work of the Creator. And since man cannot enlarge his status, one cubit, neither can he change anything by worrying, by sweating, by laboring to increase his temporal estate. So in other words, it's, it's ridiculous and foolish to seek to do so. I mean, why in the world spend sleepless nights beating up your brain about the things that you cannot do a cotton-picking thing about? Right? Why lose sleep over it if you can't do anything about it? So what should we do to prevent this mindset? We shouldn't covet an abundance of wealth. In other words, we should be satisfied with our status in life. We should be satisfied in how God has providentially cared for us. Now again, don't misunderstand me. I mentioned earlier, we're to be wise, we're to plan for the future, we're to do our duty. But what I'm saying is we should not covet an abundance of wealth. Our desire for the wealth that God blesses us should be used for His kingdom, not for wasting it on ourselves. We must be content with the status in life. Don't set the conveniences against the inconveniences. Be satisfied with what you have and see how God blesses you. And sometimes we, because we're such a wealthy nation, I mean, most of the poorest in this nation would be considered well-off in third world countries. And until you go to some of these third world countries, you really can't understand that. It really doesn't sink in that people actually do live in places that have dirt floors, thatch roofs, outside, still outside toilets. We cannot alter God's providence, so we must submit to it and adjust our circumstances to it. We also apply this, this to spiritual growth in the kingdom of God. I mean, our labor is vain and fruitless without God blessing us. We see in Psalms 127, 1 and 2, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for so He gives His beloved sheep. So we see that it's God that blesses the work of His kingdom. Now again, it's not saying that we just sit back and say, okay, God bless us. God add unto our membership. No, that's not what He's saying. 
We're to be faithful, but yet we're to pray and bathe all that we do in prayer and ask God to do that which only God can do. Paul says, I planted, apostle watered, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. In other words, I'm nothing, you're nothing. God is the one that is to receive all the glory. It really bothers me when these pastors boast about what all they've done. And recently, one primary guy has done that out in California. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you can ask me later. He has boasted about all that he's done and why in the world would the Southern Baptist kick his church out of the convention because he allows women to be pastors. Why in the world would they? Look at all that I've done. How sinful that is. He hasn't done a cotton-picking thing. It's what God has done, if anything is done, if it's true. I mean, a lot of what people say they've done.